The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Well, go ahead and grab your copy of Scripture. Make your way over to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, we're working through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, we are in that back half of this great letter where the Apostle Paul is showing us how to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. What we're going to do is read the verses for us this morning. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, and then we're going to read verses 21 through 24. We're doing this, as I say here in a moment, this call, this command to not get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit, we talked about last week, has very specific fruits, very specific effects that will show up in the life of a believer. And what we saw was one of them was this idea of submission. Paul is going to walk through that door of submission and then begin to apply it in the lives and the relationships that the Christian has in this world. The relationships of marriage, the relationships we have in our families, the relationship that we have in our homes. So, verse 18, Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes this to us as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the sermon title this morning is this, A Spirit-Filled Marriage, specifically how Paul is going to ascribe this reality of being spirit-filled specifically to wives. Next week, we're going to turn our attention there, starting in verse 25 down through verse 33, where Paul is going to talk about what it looks like to be a spirit-filled husband. But he first starts off with addressing wives in the way they are called to walk, being filled with the Spirit, and what that means for them in their marriage relationships. The main idea that Paul wants to lay on us this morning is found right there in verse 22. We're just pulling it right straight out of the scriptures there. The main idea is this, is that a spirit-filled wife ultimately submits to Jesus as she submits to her husband. Now, I think it's just worthwhile to say this. There are several um, wives here this morning, women who are married, and obviously there is a direct application to you. Some of us here this morning are young enough to where we are not married, and we are, but we will one day hope to be married. Some of us are here who are single. Some of us are here as widowers. We're not married, and so there might be the temptation on the front end to be like, hey, this is a sermon I can sort of take a snooze in. This really doesn't apply to me. After all, I am not a wife. But if you cast your eyes down to verse 32, what Paul is going to remind us next week specifically is that this relationship between a husband and a wife is something profound, something mysterious. 
And what he's going to say is this mystery of the way a husband and a wife are married, he says, it refers to Christ and the church. So there's this beautiful reality about how, even though you may not be married, there's something important for you here in these verses. If you're a Christian here today, because being a Christian means you are filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit means you've been folded into the body of believers, which means you are part of the church. And Paul is going to tell us there's something about wives and husbands that displays the beautiful reality, a part of what you are part of, being part of the body of Christ, being part of the church. And so I just wanted to put that little preemptive there on the front end. Just because you may not be married now does not mean these verses do not apply to you. So my hope is that as we pray here, I'm going to pray that you would press in, the Holy Spirit would speak, you would hear from him as we work through this text. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, this, the words on my heart and mind right now are uh, the words of Samuel when he, as a young boy, uh, heard you calling him, and his response to you was, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And my hope is that this morning, as we walk through these words, we with glad and joyful hearts would be able to say like Samuel, Lord, speak for your servants are listening. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use me as an instrument in your hands to point people to Jesus and the glorious realities of your design for this beautiful relationship known as marriage between one man and one woman, and that in the end we'd see your good design in marriage as it relates to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the name of our King that I pray these things. Amen. You're going to have to go into the Wayback Machine here, back towards the very first sermon that we preached in this series, where Paul introduced us to the Christians in Ephesus with this phrase. He said that they were those who were faithful in Christ Jesus, and he simultaneously said they are known as the saints in Ephesus. So there was a dual reality going on in the way that he's defining the Christians in Ephesus. They are in Christ and they are in Ephesus, meaning they are those who once were lost, now found, saved by grace through faith in Christ. So there's this vertical reality. But Paul is now going to say, and he's been saying now ever since Ephesians chapter 4, that that in Christness is meant to work itself out in Ephesus. Right? Some of our common parlance might be this. He's trying to help them in this letter not be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But he also doesn't want them to be so earthly good that they're trying to earn their way into heaven. He says, no, you, you don't want to get the cart before the horse here. You need to be saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's all about being in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, he's just expounded that. He made the great change over into Ephesians chapter 4. Now he says, guys, listen, because you're in Ephesus, because you're in Springfield, because you're in Fancy Prairie and Athens and Williamsville, and you're in Divernon and Chatham and Auburn or wherever you might find yourself, your in Christness is meant to have an everyday huge impact on the way you live life, do life, think life, speak life. Paul has summed up all he said so far about how to live out our in Christness in Ephesus. We saw it last week. The sort of summary bow on the package was this walk in wisdom, he said. 
Walk in wisdom. And the way that we walk in wisdom is not only making the best use of our time, but also seeking to understand what the will of your Lord is. And in verse 18, Paul said, I'm not going to leave you guessing as to what that means, what the will of the Lord is for you. It means a lot of things, but he says immediately, here's an answer for what the will of the Lord is for you. Be filled with the Spirit. That's Ephesians 5 verse 18. And so now what Paul is simply going to do is he's going to take this command to be filled with the Spirit and he's going to apply it to the three most basic relationships that a Christian can have in this world. That's the relationship of marriage, the relationship of family, and the relationships we have in our work. And notice, starting in verses 21 and 22, notice that the key concept revolves around all of life submission to Jesus. That's point number one. All of life submission to Jesus. So notice how verse 18 feeds into verses 21 and 22. There's a connection going on between that command, be filled with the Spirit, And the language of submission that he picks up there in verses 21 and 22. You see it there. Be filled with the Spirit. An effect of being filled with the Spirit is this fruit will be born out in your life. Submitting to one another. Notice, out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, more specifically, wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. You see, the whole of the Christian life is about submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's this all of life submission to Jesus' authority that should make Christian marriage look noticeably different in the world. Where marriages can be filled with all sorts of things, The Christian marriage is to stand out as unique in this world. And it's to stand out as unique because Christian marriage is a union between two sinners who've been saved by grace. It's that union of two people who are filled with the Spirit. It's a union of two people, verse 21, who are submitting to one another out of their reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, as some of your translations might put it, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In the fear of Christ. Now, it's a sort of a unique phrase, in the fear of Christ, but here's what this phrase doesn't mean. When Paul says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, what he's not saying is that this idea of submission is to be a thing of terror. Because you're being terrorized sort of by the Lord. You're sort of cowering and like, oh, well, let's do whatever you want us to do. That's not what he's saying. But it's not also, he's not saying is that we're supposed to be walking around scared of Jesus. Like there's this, like this sort of this fear, this, this, this afraidness that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying that either. When Paul says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, what he means is this. Because we revere our Savior, because we have an awesome wonder of our Savior, because of the magnificence of who he is, because we esteem him as the risen Lord and Savior, what we do then is operate with joyful submission to the authorities in our lives out of reverence for him, 
because he is the ultimate authority in our life. So there's this sort of like flowing down chain here where we go, the one who rules and reigns over me, the one to whom I joyfully submit because he is my Lord, he is my Savior, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in reverence, in awe, in delightful obedience to his rule and reign over my life, what I want to do is walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And what Paul is saying is that the Lord's will for a woman is to walk in a way that is tied to submission, especially in marriage. So what we can do is we can say this. We submit to others because Christ is the ultimate authority over our lives. That's just really what's going on there when you see that interplay between verses 21 and 22. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's why Paul says that little phrase there at the end. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because you're inferior. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because, after all, you're not as smart as a man is. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands because this, because that, because this, because He says, no, 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 I'm calling wives to walk in submission to their husband as to the Lord. He ties submission in marriage directly to the relationship, the saving relationship that a woman has with her Savior, her Lord, Jesus. So for the Christian wife, what we can say is, because she's a Christian, is that Jesus is her Lord. Above all, because Jesus is her Lord, her main aim is to serve her king. So as part of her service to the king, what she does is she seeks to understand the king's will for her marriage. And Paul is saying, as I said a couple of minutes ago, the Lord's will for her marriage is that she glorify Jesus and how she submits her own husband. You guys see how this is working out here. That's why these verses so often, unfortunately, stripped out of their context, get denigrated in the world around us. What they do is they zoom in on verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. They don't really care that that last phrase says, as to the Lord. And what they say is, this is incredibly stupid. This is something we should not do. How dare we ask women to be submissive to anybody? But for the Christian, as we said for the past couple of weeks, God's word is our guide. And that's why we have to know our Bibles. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that verse 22 comes after verse 21. And verse 21 comes after verse 20. And 20 comes after 19, 18, 17. And then you start going back up into verse 17 where it says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will, Lord's will is that you be filled with the Spirit. The way that you're filled with the Spirit will result in the way you submit to others. And the way that you submit to others in the relationship of marriage, specifically for a wife, is submission to her husband. And so the Christian wife says, Yes, I want to please my Lord and Savior. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, I will receive maximum glory and you will receive maximum joy when you walk in this way. When you walk in this way. Submission to your husband in marriage. Now I think it's important to see there in verse 22 that the key phrase there is her own husband. Her own husband. Wives, submit to your own husbands. It's not all husbands, but it's her own 
for the Christian wife, submission to her own husband is her God-designed role in marriage. Now, for some of us, the longer I keep talking about this, the more angry you're getting. Because these words just are not sitting easy on you. It's like trying to mix vinegar and water. I'm up here shaking, 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 and then I set down the cup, and it's like, it's just separating, man. Like, it's just these things aren't mixing into your heart. They're not mixing into your minds. These words are just hard to hear. And if we're honest, for some of us, or perhaps many of us here right now, we'd have to admit that we are embarrassed of verses like these. We're ashamed of verses like these, we would sort of just hope that Paul would have had a momentary lapse and have not written phrases like these in the Bible that we say we believe. And the reason why we are embarrassed, the reason why we are ashamed is because of how words like these are received in the culture at large in which we find ourselves. Listen, submission to authority in our age is decidedly not welcome. So to say that wives should submit to their own husbands is largely received as oppressive nonsense that is to be despised in this world. That's how this verse would be received. But again, as Christians, we need to remember that God is infinitely wise. God is infinitely good. And as such, listen, he knows the best possible plan for all things, including the differing roles that he is assigned for wives and the differing roles he's assigned for husbands in marriage. If God were a malicious, wicked God, we should read a verse like this with full-blown skepticism. Does he really have my good in store when he says that wives should submit to husbands? That's what you wives should be thinking to yourselves right now. But because you women are women of the word and you are in your Bible, you know the goodness of the character of God. You know his infinite wisdom. You know that all he does is for his glory. You know that all he does is for the maximum flourishing of his people. So when he says, I'm putting a boundary on this thing, you will do well to walk within this boundary. He is not being malevolent he is being benevolent he's being so good to tell us listen i've designed you to walk in marriage in this way i'm telling you walk 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 in wisdom walk in love walk in the light of knowing these things to be true after all i am wise infinitely wise i know the best possible way that every marriage could possibly ever work out i'm telling you you will know me fully you will know me Greatly, you will bring glory to me. You will know flourishing when you walk in the roles that I've assigned for you in marriage. So, what are those roles? As we're going to see next week, and as you can find in various scriptures in your Bible, for the case of the husband, his role is to love. His role is to care for his wife. His role is to protect his wife as Christ does the church. The husband, in other words, is to lovingly lead as the authoritative head of his family. That's what the Bible says. But the wife's role, according to God in the scriptures, is to illustrate how the believer responds to Christ's love by the way she walks in deep, joyful Submission, just like the way the church walks in deep, joyful submission 
to its Lord, the Lord Jesus. So what this means is that woven, listen, woven into God's design for marriage is an equal complementarity. An equal complementarity. That's what God has woven into this thing called marriage by his design. What do I mean by those two words, equal and complementarity? What I mean is this, equal in the sense that both male and female are created in the image of God. They're both created in the image of God. So they're equal in this way. And because they are both equally created in the image of God, what this means is that they both have equal dignity, they both have equal value, and they both have equal worth. Furthermore, when you come into the New Testament, another thing that you can say concerning male and female is that they are both equal as co-heirs with Christ in redemption. So this is what Paul means when he writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, listen, there is neither Jew nor Greek. He says there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You have to understand Paul's favorite phrase there, in Christ Jesus. See, what our world loves to do is set up barriers and say, because I'm white and because you're black, you're out and I'm in. Because I'm male, because you're female, you're out and I'm in. Because I'm Jew, because you're Greek, you're out, I'm in. Because I'm free, because you're a slave, you're out, I'm in. But what Paul says is that in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be in Christ Jesus means those dividing walls. This is just Ephesians chapter 2 from multiple weeks ago. Those dividing walls that the world loves to erect saying, I'm out and you're in and you're in and I'm out and these sorts of things. There is an equality in redemption in that you can be Jew or Greek and be saved. You can be slave or free and be saved. You can be man or woman and be saved. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So in matters, this is so important, you've got to remember, this is going to go back to the distinction of being in Christ and in Ephesus. In matters of redemption, there is a God-designed equality for those in Christ. But, but, when it comes to males and females Working out their in Christness in Ephesus, this equality does not mean male and female are identical. There are clear God-designed distinctions between male and female that God has created intentionally to complement one another. And the Bible grounds this equal complementarity in the act of creation itself. So you go back to Genesis chapter 1. You go back to Genesis chapter 2. And what you'll do is you'll run into the back half of Eve being created out of Adam. Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 24. And when you read that little episode there, what you see is that the Bible is teaching is that God has given to the husband a certain headship that's over the family. God, for his glory and for the good of humanity, says, I have said in marriage the husband is to be the head, he's to be the authority, he's to do it lovingly so that he can care and protect for his family. That is what God has ordained for the man. And then he has equally said that I have ordained something for the woman, for the wife. And so the Bible says that God has given to the husband this certain headship in the family and that the wife will find her true 
God-given role, not by rebelling against that headship designed by God, but in a voluntary and joyful submission to it. The Apostle Paul picks up on this creation account interplay between submission and authority in places like 1 Timothy chapter 2. You also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, specifically chapter 11 verse 3, where Paul says this, listen, there's something I want you to know, he writes to the Christians in Corinth, and this is the thing I want you to know. I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. So a man has an authority in his life. We all have an authority somewhere. And he says, as a man, you have an authority. You have a head, someone who is over you, and his name is Jesus. Then he says, what you need to know is that the man is to be the head of the woman. So she not only has an authority in her life, the Lord Jesus, but there's also another authority seen in her husband. And then ultimately, he says, God is the head of Christ. So if you go into Genesis chapter 2 as a Christian who's saying, I want to submit to the authority of the scriptures. So you go into Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and you pull that forward, that idea of the equal complementarity that you see there. You go into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you pull forward that idea of, of headship. Husband has a head over him, Jesus, a wife has a head over him. The husband, you pull in these verses from Ephesians chapter 5, this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit, submitting out of reverence for Christ as, as to the Lord. What you do is when you stitch these things to, together, we make a discovery, and the discovery is this. A husband has an authority over his life, and the name of that authority is Jesus. And submission to Jesus' authority looks like something in his marriage, which will be the point of next week's sermon. So don't not come back next week. Come back next week because some of you are like, why are we picking on the wives? Well, what you need to know is there's like five verses for the wives and there's like 10 or 12 for the husbands. Paul, I think, is trying to tell us something. Husbands need a little bit of help. All right? So husbands have an authority. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is going to say next week, brother, Christian brothers, the fact that you have an authority ruling over you in your life means something for the way that you were to act in your marriage, and it doesn't look like a strong-fisted, strong man who just comes in and treats your wife whatever way you want to. It actually looks like loving Christ as, or loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And the obvious question that you should ask and we'll ask next week is, well, how did Christ love his church? Well, we've seen in the book of Ephesians that he gave himself up for her. That's cross-language. A husband's authority is to be shaped by the cross. His leadership is to be shaped in a Jesus-shaped sort of way. Stitching these things together, what does it tell us about a wife? As for the wife, she too has an authority in her life, and his name is Jesus, stitching these things together. And submission to Jesus' ultimate authority in her life means she will walk in a way where she submits to another authority in her life namely her husband. Now, Paul furthers this God-designed complementarity by turning to an illustration, and that's just what verses 23 and 24 are. Look at them there. It's the model of Christ and the church. 
So the reason for saying all that he said is because this beautiful, listen, this beautiful God-designed one flesh union between one man, one woman in the bonds of marriage, ultimately, he says there in verse 32, refers to Christ and the church. And so he says, let me illustrate why I've been saying all that I've been saying by giving you a two-point illustration. The first point is this, verse 23, Jesus is the model of a husband's headship. You see it there in your copy of Scripture? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So you go back into chapter 1, verse 22. Paul described Jesus as being the head who governs the cosmos. You go down to chapter 4, verse 15, Paul described Jesus as being the head who lovingly rules and cares for the church. So when it comes to the husband's role in marriage, the leader, the headship of Christ over the church is to be the model for a husband's headship over his wife. That's just what he's saying there in verse 23. Here's the second thing he's saying with the illustration. Verse 24, the church is the model of a wife's submission. The church is the model of a wife's submission. Verse 24, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now again, if verse 22 wasn't tricky enough for you with that idea of submitting to your husbands as to the Lord, what will usually get someone wrapped around the axle is this second one right there in verse 24, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, some of the husbands, I see it on your face, you got a big old cheese-eating grin because you're like, where has this Bible verse been all my life? It's like, well, you're probably already not thinking about this Bible verse correctly. And for some of the wives that are here today or hope to be future wives, um, if you're single looking to be married, is this. Man, that verse sort of freaks me out a little bit. There's a level of fear that comes with that verse. In everything? Everything. So a great question to ask is, what does submit in everything mean? It means this, submit in every area of life. Every area of life. What it doesn't mean is that a wife follows her husband, though, when he leads her to sin. So what Paul is just simply saying this, it's like if a husband and a wife come together and like, what are the sort of the areas of life that we have together? And you're like, oh, we've got these 10 areas that we do life together. For a wife to say, I love Jesus, uh, and here's, here's the, the bargain I'm going to strike for you. I will submit to you in four of those, but six of those I'm not. That's not how I'm going to do it. 60% I'm going to leave for me. I'll be in charge of me in that 60%, that 40%. Yeah, I guess I'll give some, some, some submission to you. No, Paul is saying, when you have a husband who is filled with the Spirit, who is walking in wisdom, who is obeying the will of the Lord for him as a husband, who is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, the invitation that is wooing the wife is, yes, I will gladly submit to that husband in in, in everything, all areas of life. But because, unfortunately, some dirtbag husbands have tried to use a verse like this to rule strong-fisted over their wife, we need to say what this does not mean. And what that does not mean is that a wife does not follow her husband in matters of sin. Remember, 
A wife is submitting to the headship of her husband's authority as to the Lord. Her husband's authority in their marriage is derived from the authority of Jesus. And insofar as her husband wields this delegated authority in a Christ-like way, her call is to joyfully submit in every area of life. But the moment any husband misuses this God-given authority by commanding what God forbids or forbidding what God commands, then a wife should not submit so that she can ultimately obey who? Her Lord, her Savior, Jesus. But as there is Christ-like headship being lived out in her husband, wives should submit in everything, for the wife is expressing in her joyful submission how the church joyfully responds to the headship of her Lord Jesus Christ. So you get to see it. Did you know that you can show Jesus to the world in the way that you walk as a wife who submits? That's what Paul is saying right now. There is a picture that's on display here. The mystery, he doesn't quite get it. He says, this thing is stinking profound, but I'm just telling you, the way a wife submits, the way a husband loves, people should be able on the outside look in and go, that really looks like Jesus and the church. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So now I think what we should do right now is... um, I should help us by speaking to what do these things mean and what do these things not mean. My hunch is that most of us would hear the explanation of these verses and go, okay, I get it, man. They're pretty plain. They're pretty simple. He's not doing a lot of logistical gymnastics. I mean, you read these verses and you don't really walk away going, I just don't know that I understand what Paul is saying here. He's pretty simple. Wives submit, husbands the head. Just like Christ is the head of the church, church submits to Jesus. That's the way wives should submit to their husbands and everything. It's just a plain and simple reading. But what I think we need to do is speak to what this does not mean and what this does mean. So here are three of each. What does this whole submission to husbands things mean? What does it not mean? Here's what submission is not. Submission is not another word for inferiority. Not another word for inferiority. Submission is not a recipe for the subjugation of a woman. Subjugation is that idea of you were created and you exist and your sole existence is to serve me. I'm superior, you're inferior. Out of your inferiority, you will do what I tell you to do. That's subjugation. What Paul is not doing is calling for subjugation. He's calling for submission. A wife's submission does not mean the husband has a built-in servant to do his bidding. Again, you guys know your Bibles. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. When Adam was created, Eve ruled over the earth with him as his helpmate. Remember the whole thing? He brings all the animals before Adam, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's naming, and he's naming them. He sees them coming in, like in pairs and pairs, and then he looks around, and he's like, there's no one like me, and there's no one fit for me. There's no helper suitable for me. So God gives him the great divine anesthetic, lays him down, pulls the rib out, seals up the side, creates the woman. He wakes up, and he's just thought, and then right, it's that little paragraph. He's like, okay, that's a woman. And this is good. Thank you. Thank you, God, for the way that you've created. This is someone who's fit. This is a helper for me. So in a sense, what you can say is the command then that God gave to the man and the woman, which is to rule over this creation, be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion, God made Adam king over the creation, and then he said, here's your queen. Her name is Eve. He didn't say, here's your slave girl to do your bidding so you can run roughshod over her as you act like a king. 
He didn't say that. He said, here's your help meet. Submission in marriage is not a license for a husband to tyrannize his wife. Second, submission is not mindless. It's not mindless. To submit is not an invitation to become a doormat. It's not a call for the wife to be seen, not heard. That's not what it is. It's not a call for her to be unable to offer an opinion or express disagreement with her husband. Lastly, submission is not about ability, but about obeying the God-designed order for marriage. It's not about ability, but about obeying the God-designed order for marriage. The call of submission is not a command for the husband to rule the family single-handedly, where he never consults his wife or anything, never leans on her wisdom, dismisses her concerns, and spurns her judgment. Listen, I know too many of you. Too many of you outkicked your coverage, man. Your wife is brilliant. She is highly intelligent. And you are a fool to think that submission to you means you never go to her seeking her counsel, seeking her wisdom, encouraging her to flourish in the areas that she's been gifted in to flourish. If you think that's what submission means as a husband, you're a fool and you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. If a husband has any sense, he will recognize that there will be certain areas in their marriage where his wife is extremely more competent than he is. Therefore, he listens to her opinion, seeks her counsel, and delegates responsibilities to her in these areas. But ultimately, as we know from good old creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, is that in the end, it's the husband who bears the ultimate responsibility in the marriage. It's the husbands who bear the ultimate responsibility in their marriage. So what is submission? Three more. Here's what submission is. I think these are so crucial, sisters in Christ, brothers in Christ. Submission is an act of worship to Jesus. Submission is an act of worship to Jesus. A godly wife sees her submission as part of her Christian discipleship where she can actually bring glory to the Lord Jesus. Submitting to her husband is the way a wife honors the Lord Jesus by understanding this is the will of my king for my marriage. And if there's anything I want to do in this world, it's bring glory to my king. And so she says, King, what do you want me to do? And the king, with the biggest smile in the world, says, Sister, I designed your marriage to flourish when you walk in spirit-filled submission to your husband. And the wife, who knows the goodness and infinite wisdom of the king, says, Yes, not, these are the words of Jesus, my will be done, but your will. Your will be done. And if your will is this for my marriage, I will gladly walk in it. Submission is an act of worship to Jesus. Second, submission to her husband exemplifies the dignity of her womanhood as designed by God when her complementary role in marriage is joyfully fulfilled. Submission to a husband exemplifies the dignity of of womanhood. What do I mean by this? Think about this. Before the foundations of the world, God declared 
there will be two genders, male and female. And before the foundation of the world, your being, if you're here as a woman today, your being, God said, my plan for you is that you will be created as a woman. You will come into this world. So there is a womanhood that is attributed to you. What the Bible says is that's not an undignified thing. That's a very dignified thing. There is something that you as a woman, sister Christian, you as a woman can only do that none of the males in here can do. You can bring maximum glory to Jesus by submitting to your husband. And when you submit to your husband, walking in the womanhood that God has designed for you, not only do you exemplify the dignity of that calling upon your life, but what you do is when you walk joyfully in this way, people can get a picture of God's design for womanhood in the way womanhood is meant to declare the glories of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So walking in submission to a husband, what it does is it exemplifies the dignity of womanhood. Third and lastly, a wife's submission to her husband is a spirit-filled calling that displays the gospel. It's a spirit-filled calling that displays the gospel. Just think about this, sisters. The marriage relationship, it is a gospel drama. One relationship on earth created by God where people should on the outside be able to look in and go, ah, that's the way a savior loves sinners. And that is the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship is a gospel drama where a wife's submission gives a picture of the church to the world and a husband's loving headship gives a picture of Christ to the world. In other words, your marriage, listen, your marriage has been designed by God to display the wonder of the gospel, to display the power of the gospel, to display the beauty of the gospel, to display the transformation of the gospel. Friends, this is the evangelistic power of a spirit-filled marriage. Do you see what Paul is saying here? When a husband and a wife filled with the Spirit walk in these ways, there's an evangelistic power that screams out from the way you're complimenting one another, husband loving, wife submitting, respecting, that the world on the outside in can look and go, what in the world is this Jesus thing about? All because we're walking within the boundaries of God's ordained design for marriage. There is an evangelistic power to your marriage. So it makes complete sense then why the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places literally rage like hell against marriage, don't you think? There's a reason why the spiritual forces of evil rage like hell against submission in particular. Because if it's true that a wife's submission displays church the church to the world, and the way that a husband loves his wife displays Christ to the world, the spiritual forces of evil don't care how they destroy marriages in so long as they destroy marriages because they know the evangelistic power of a Christ-centered, spirit-filled marriage. Saves sinners. Which is why my prayer for you is that you will be convinced of this. As a sister in Christ who one day hopes to be married or right now currently is married, my hope is that you will be convinced of this. I must be filled with the Spirit 
so I might walk in Christ-honoring submission to my husband and thus proclaim the gospel. My hope and what I'm going to pray for us right now is that God would convince us of these things for his glory. Let's pray. Father, would you come and move in power and might? Would you help us to consider these words that have just been laid out before us? We need you, Jesus, to help us see clearly that these words are not for our bad. These words are for our good. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us now? I'm praying for what we talked about last week, that you'd fill us with your spirit so that we might see these words on the pages before us and go, this is an invitation, an invitation to come and know the goodness of our King, the invitation to come and taste the sweetness of his design for our lives, to come and know the evangelistic power of a spirit-filled marriage so that we would stand like lights and walk in light as he is in the light, imitating God, showing the love of Christ to those around us. God, help us in these things. I have no power to convince, so that's why I'm entrusting these things to you, Lord, to convince us to walk in this way of wisdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you are here this morning and the Lord Jesus Christ has saved you, this is a proper way to respond right now by taking of the Lord's Supper. The communion elements are in the back if you fail to grab those on the way in. But if you have them here, the way that you can respond is by responding outwardly to the inward realities of what Jesus has done. What do I mean by that? When you peel off those two little layers there and you take that little piece of bread and you take that little cup of juice, it's more than just having a little, you know, mid-service snack. That's not what's going on. What you're about to do outwardly is say something is true of me inwardly. You're about to take that little piece of bread, put it in your mouth, chew it, crunch it, break it, crush it. And what you're saying is that Christ's body broken and crushed on the cross was for my good. It was for my salvation. Then what you're going to do is you're going to peel off that next little layer and you're going to pour that cup of juice into your mouth. And as you pour it and you feel it go into your mouth and you feel it it go down on the inside, what you're meant to do in your mind is go, man, Christ's blood was poured out on that cross for my good and for my salvation. So that's why the Bible says the Lord's Supper is for a Christian. Because for someone to come and crush that bread and to drink that juice, what they're doing is saying something outwardly with their body that is not true of them inwardly, spiritually. So if you're a Christian, proper response, respond to the Lord's Supper. Proper response, pray. Proper response, sing. My hope is that you'll walk in obedience in that way. If you are here not a Christian, I would beg you, do not take the Lord's Supper, but instead talk to Jesus right now about how he can save you according to what he accomplished on that cross. My hope is that you would walk in obedience to Jesus and however he's leading you to respond.